You may notice I sound a little bit like Andrew Murray. <laughs> or he sounds like me. He sounds like, he sounds like me, yeah. Uh, I've ministered with Andrew for the entirety of this whole century. Since Andrew was a little boy, he was ministering with me over in Barnsley. If you've not heard of Royston, it's in Barnsley, uh, the centre of uh, Yorkshire. Well, it's nice to be here. I want to read a scripture to you this morning. Can you turn with me, please, to the Song of Songs, which is Solomon? Song of Songs, which is Solomon, chapter 5. If you don't know where that is, you should. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, chapter 5 and verse 1. Just read this one verse. I have come into my garden... My sister, my bride, I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. Eat, O oh friends, and drink. Drink your fill, O oh lovers. What on earth is being talked about there? It's actually a love song. It's a love song that you find right in the center of God's word. It's right in the middle of the Bible. I actually believe that the key to understanding this song. The Song of Songs means it's the greatest song of all songs. That's what Song of Songs means. Like Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. It means these, he's the preeminent one above all of the others. This is the greatest love song ever written. And it's the greatest love song ever penned. It's, it's the love song that God sings to his church. Why are you here today? Why are you here? Because if we read the words of the song... It's actually God who's come here to get something from us, not us to get something from God. God has come into his garden where his bride is, and he's come to get something. He's come to reveal something to her. He's come to get her to understand something. You do know that the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. You do know that. You know, several years ago, when Andrew and Laura were still with us there in Barnsley, I started preaching a series on the Bride of Christ. And I preached every Sunday morning when I was preaching. I preached on the Bride of Christ every Sunday morning for two years. Every message. That was about five years ago. And I'm still doing it because I've, I've seen in God's word that actually the Bible is a love story written by a bridegroom to his bride. And what's so sad is that so many Christians don't understand that. Here in the middle of the Bible, we find the bridegroom coming into the garden to meet his bride. How does the Bible begin? It begins in a garden with God creating a bride. How does the Bible end? It ends in a garden with the bride speaking with the Spirit Saying the spirit and the bride say come. So God's word begins in a garden with the creation of a bride. It ends in a garden with a bride speaking with Jesus Christ. And in the middle of God's word we find this song of songs about a bride in a garden with the bridegroom coming to meet the bride. The Bible is a love story of God wanting you to understand how much he loves you. With God wanting you to understand that if you are a member of his church, you are his bride. 
Are you listening to me? Because when you mention the word church, most people don't think of a bride. They think of lots of things. But they don't think of a bride. Some of them think of a business. Some of them think of just a religious institution. Some of them think of a building. Some of them think of all kinds of things today. But that's not what God thinks. God thinks his church is his bride. And you see, God's greatest thought, the greatest thought that God ever had was to create a bride for his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what you are. That's what you are. Why are you here this morning? You see, if you know that you're part of God's bride, it should make your entire outlook be focused in a very specific way because my bride has a relationship with me unlike that of any other person. Because she knows she's my wife. So she's not worried about her relationship with me. Because she knows she's in a covenant of love with me. She knows she's in a relationship with me that is binding until death. That is throughout this entire walk of our lives on earth. And that I love her and she loves me and she is my body and I am hers. Do you know that about your relationship with God? Do you really grasp that? Do you really understand that? Do you know that that's actually what the Bible's all about? You see, when you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you'll find that the focus is nearly always on the women in the Bible. I'll just let that settle a minute while you all... What's he talking about? No, it's not. Yes, it is. The issue is always what God's going to do with the woman. Yeah? When God created everything, he said it was very good, yeah? And then what did he say? It's not good. Hold on a minute. Has God changed his mind? Or is he trying to show us a greater revelation of what the purpose of his creation was about in the first place? It's not good that man should be alone. Well, why did you create him alone then? Because he created all the animals, male and female, so had he forgot that he made them all in pairs and he created man on his own? No, of course he hadn't. The whole point of the story of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is that God is creating a focus so that we understand the purpose of creation was about the woman. That's why the end of Revelation, the last person to speak is the woman. Because it's the woman who's created differently to everything else in all creation. You see, God had a perfect man. Not Adam, he had one before him. God's always had a perfect man. He's called Jesus Christ. But he wants a perfect woman. To share eternity with his son. This is where you come in. God decided to create you so that you would be the perfect companion to him. Do you get that? Do you understand your eternal value? Do you understand your eternal importance? Do you get that? Because there's nothing more important to me than my bride. I'll get rid of everything else. My house, my cars, my job, my profession, my reputation. If it is for her benefit. Because that's how a man should love his wife. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. 
when the Pharisees came to Jesus Christ and says, is it legal for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? What did Jesus say? Have you not read that which was from the beginning? They are not two. They are one. What God has joined together, let man not separate. Why did Jesus give them that answer? Because in Jesus' mind, he's never going to divorce his church. He's never going to separate his love from you. He's never going to divorce you. He has given his life as an eternal covenant, a binding legal judicial document so that you can belong to him. All you have to do is to be faithful to him. Because the only legal grounds for divorce, according to Jesus, was adultery. Do we understand these things? Do we understand that God's problem, if I can use that word, don't stone me ladies. God's problem in the Bible was the fruitfulness of the woman. Have you ever noticed that? Not, not, the, not the fertility of the man. Abraham was fertile, but Sarah wasn't. Isaac was fertile, but Rebecca wasn't. Jacob was fertile, but Rachel wasn't. Elkanah was fertile, but Hannah wasn't. The focus of the Bible is always on the barren woman, about the one who is barren, God making fruitful. God's fruitful and fertile. His problem is making you fruitful and fertile. It's not because he can't do it. It's because he wants to do it through you. That's his problem. One of the reasons the church isn't fruitful is that many Christians don't get that. They think it's all about them. But we went quiet then, didn't it? It's all about my ministry and my fruitfulness and my destiny and my calling and my, my dream and my ambition. It's all about me, 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 me. And I'm going to be the next Benny Hinn and Reinhard Bonnke and it's all about me. No, it's not. It's about the church. It's about the bride. It's about the church being fruitful. Now, you're a part of that. But the minute you separate yourself in your identity from that, God has a problem. He can't make you fruitful because God only wants his wife to be fruitful. Are you listening to me? Right? I have four children. Fruitful family. My wife has had four children. But I don't have any children to any other woman. Do you know why? Because I've only got one bride. God's only got one church. And it's his church he wants to be fruitful. When Abraham bought a child through a woman who wasn't his bride, that child did not inherit the promise. Ishmael couldn't have it. Why? Because it didn't come through the bride. It came through a slave woman. And God's church is not a slave. God's church is his bride. Can we see this? Do you know you're part of the bride of Christ? Do you know that your purpose in God's plan is the single most important purpose in the entirety of history? God's plan has been there from creation to, to revelation. God's plan is to create this thing, this church. This mystery that the Apostle Paul calls it, that was hidden from the foundation of the world. You can read the whole Bible and miss the mystery. People never understood the church. 
They thought it were all about their religious systems. They thought it was all about their ministry. It was all about their anointing and their gifting and their power and their talents. No, it's not. It's about the church. God's only interested in the church. When I go home, I'm going to love my wife. Not because of how talented she is. Not because she's done the dishes. Now, she may have done the dishes, although she's probably got one of the kids to do it. Because that's the rule we have in our house. All the kids have to do the work. That's why I've got four, so I don't have to do any work. <laughs> right? I never married my wife for what she could do for me. Are you listening? Is this sinking in? So why is it that people treat the church like what the church can do for them? I don't go home, when I get home this evening, I don't go in and say, right, what have you done today, love? Carpet looks a bit dusty. Where's my tea? You've not cut the grass. You've not painted the house. You've not tidied what you've not done the washing up. You've not made the bed. You've not done this. I mean, I could do all those things, but I wouldn't, I'd be in hospital next week. When I proposed to my wife, I didn't bow down on one knee and say, Darling, will you clean for me? Will you be my personal slave till death has do part? Will you allow me to slob about the house and do nothing while you do all the dishes and you do all the domestic service? No. The reason I married my bride is because I loved her and I wanted to give my life to her. I never once thought of anything she was going to do for me. Because that's the nature of true love. God didn't save you because he wanted a slave. He's got loads of servants in heaven. They're called angels. No, God chose you because he wanted someone to share eternity with that he could lavish his love upon for all eternity. And he actually chose you. He actually chose you by showing you what he could do for you. His bride. Is that how you see the church? Because that's how God sees the church. Now, I'm not really bothered how any other man views my bride. I'm only interested in how I view her because she's mine. She's not yours. So it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks about her because she doesn't belong to them. She belongs to me. Is that how you treat the church? Or do you, do you continually complain to God about his bride? Do you moan to God about his bride? Let me tell you something, it doesn't work. If anyone comes to a man and complains to him about his wife, he stops listening. Are you all, why are all the women nodding at the men next to them? <laughs> I'm talking about the church. He's all digging him in the elbows, he's talking about you. Well, I might be, you never know. The Holy Spirit moves in strange ways. Perhaps the Lord is speaking to you. You see, we live in an age where people will criticise the church and point out how ugly the church is and point out all the church's faults. Well, would you go to a man and tell him his wife was ugly? 
You know, would you do that? You know, in all seriousness, would you do that? You wouldn't go up to a man, would you, and say, you know, I really love you, I think you're a great guy, but can I just share this with you, in love? Can I, can I just share this thought with you? Yeah, your wife's ugly. Look at her. You know, she can't do anything right. Look, she's all over the place. What you married her for? Is he going to listen to you? Well, he might. You never know. We are in Yorkshire. You never know. He might listen to you. But why do people do that about the church? Oh, didn't get anything from that church. Listen, if you come to my house for a meal, you're not getting anything from my wife. You should just be thankful I've let you come. She's not there for you. She's mine. You should be thankful that you're allowed in the house. The church is to be loved and cherished. You know, all the apostles gave their lives to die for the church. Jesus died for the church. He purchased the church with his own blood. He loves the church. And the average Christian think it's trendy to talk about how bad the church is. Well, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. That doesn't work. You can't say you love a man but hate his wife. You've lost the friendship of the man. Can you see this? Why are we here this morning? I have come into my garden, my bride. The Song of Songs is split. Sometimes it's in the male, the male singing. Sometimes it's the female singing. This is where the male's singing. He's saying, I have come into my garden to meet with my bride. What's going to happen? When you read the Song of Songs, all eight chapters, you'll find that the bride is giving fragrance to the bridegroom. It's a picture of worship, all the fragrant oils of worship. She's lavishing her love upon him. She's giving him the fruit to eat because God, that is what he desires from his bride, worship and fruitfulness and love. That's why he created you. That's why you're not created like anything else. Did you know that? What did God make Adam out of? It's not a trick question. The dust of the earth. What did he make his bride out of? You see, when God created Adam, he made Adam out of the dust of the earth. But then it says he breathed the Holy Spirit into Adam. So God created Adam as now a living being because he now had the life of God in him. Then he created Eve. Eve was created out of the life of God, not the dust. You... If you're a child of God, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you're not created like anything else in creation. You're born of the Spirit of God. You're created out of the life of God. If you believe God's word. That's why what Adam went through for his bride to be created, Adam had to die and his side had to be opened up so that the bride could be created. When Jesus came to create you, he had to die and his side had to be opened up so that you could now be created out of the life of God. Born of the Spirit of God, born of heaven, John chapter 3. Born from above, born as a child of God, John chapter 1 tells us. Children born not like the old order of creation, not born of a parent's will, not born of this earth, but born of God. Is that you? Have you been born of God? 
Are you part of the church of Jesus Christ? Are you part of the bride of God? And this is why it's so important that we understand these things. Because we can read the Bible and never really, even really see this. When Jesus rose from the grave, what was the first thing he did? Does anybody know? He appeared to a woman in a garden. Why? Because that was his purpose all along. Mary Magdalene is a picture of the church. The woman's always a picture of the church in the Bible. That's why Jesus always elevated the, the status of the woman. Jesus would never allow a woman to be abused. Whenever anyone tried to bring an accusation of a woman, Jesus defended the woman because it was a picture of his church. He will not allow any accusation to fall on his church. But the church is not perfect. Well, it is in his eyes. Don't tell him his church is not perfect because in Revelation, when you see the bride, she's perfect. She's pure and holy and spotless and pure and clean, wearing shining bright linen garments as a bride prepared for her wedding, it says in Revelation chapter 19. Now, if there are any faults, if there's any discussion between me and my wife, we sort it out personally. Jesus himself will sort out the things in his church. But he's not going to let this world rebuke her. There's no condemnation over his bride. Jesus didn't shed his blood over his bride just so that his, his wrath and judgment could fall back upon her. He saved her from that. You see, in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament period, you see, you couldn't just get married. A bride had to be purchased. It's still the same in most Middle Eastern countries today. Even in Africa, it's very similar. In, in some parts of Africa. You can't just marry someone. You have to purchase the bride. You have to pay for her. You have to pay what she is worth. In some countries, it's so many goats. It's so many cows. What did it cost for God to purchase you for his son? It cost the blood of his son. Because of the sin of mankind, the only way that you could be purchased for God was for a spotless sacrifice to be made, for the blood of Jesus Christ to be shed so that you could be purchased. That's how valuable you are, infinitely valuable. There is no way to measure that cost, but God was willing to pay it for you. He purchased you with his own blood. He signed the title deed in his own blood. He signed the marriage document in his own blood. And that's why when he drank the cup, he was signaling the marriage covenant. Because in Jewish systems, that's what you did. You drank the wine to say, I give myself to you and you give yourself to me. And I will drink this wine as a symbol of the blood that I have purchased you, that I belong to you. And I would rather die than lose you. That's why we're here this morning. We're here as a church. We're here as the bride to meet with Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. Let me read you a passage of scripture. This is from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Now most academic theologians will tell you that the highest point of the Apostle Paul's revelation and understanding of what the church and God is all about is found here in this book. And sometimes we can even read this passage and miss the point. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. What does that mean? Husbands, love your wives and cleanse her with washing through the word. You see, Jesus loves you so much, he washes you every day. And when he speaks his word to you, it has a cleansing process, a supernatural ability to cleanse your own heart. That's why you must always have God's word coming into your life every single day, because otherwise you're not clean. It's the word that cleanses you. You remember when Peter said to Jesus, wash my whole body, Jesus says you're already clean because my word is in you. Jesus' church is clean when its word is flowing through it. And that's why she's ready for the wedding. I mean, we had several weddings at our church last year, six, seven. Andrew and Laura were at some of them. They were at the wedding of my son that got married last year. You know, every bride at every wedding is clean. Have you noticed that? Have you ever seen a bride turn up a wedding and she didn't get washed? I mean, she spends weeks getting ready, doesn't she? It's ridiculous. Having patterns put on the toenails. What are you doing? No one can even see them. I mean, these exfoliation stuff and, oh, what's it all about? They want to be clean for their wedding. They want to be dressed. They want to be dressed as the bride. They want to be ready. Husbands, wash your wives with the washing of water through your word to present her to himself as a radiant church. Jesus is making you clean, ready for his arrival. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I'm here. Are you clean? Without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You see, some people say things like this. You may have heard this. If you've said it, I forgive you, but you're wrong. Jesus can't come back yet because his church is not clean. Now, would you tell me I can't go home because my wife's not had a wash? <laughs> no. Yeah, but she's not clean, Dave. She's not your wife. She's mine. If I say she's clean, she's clean. Holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. When Eve was created and presented to Adam, what did Adam say? Who's that? What's that? A giraffe without stripes? No. He says, she is born of my bone and flesh of my flesh. The two will now become one. I am here, I am with her, she is with me. That You don't separate that. Jesus is in his church. Where's Jesus? In his church. Only one person becomes one in body with my wife. Me. Anybody else gets killed by me. <laughs> I'm from Yorkshire. I meant that. <laughs> That's not metaphorical. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, the two will now become one. That's what Jesus planned all along. You know, his final prayer in John chapter 17, the great high priestly prayer of God that he prayed before he went to the cross, three times his prayer to his Father was that we may be one, them in me and me in them. 
He wants to be one with you, his word in you, his spirit in you. That's why the church is the body of Jesus Christ. It's not a different metaphor from the bride. The bride is the body. A man's wife is his body. Do you really believe that? Do you know you're the body of Jesus Christ and his spirit lives in you? Do you know whilst ever you are faithful to him, he will never divorce you? God's only got one woman. Jesus only has one church. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. It's supposed to be a mystery. You never get to the bottom of the love relationship. Doesn't make any sense, does it? Why do you love people? All it does is make you miserable in the end because of all the problems that happen. But because you love them, you keep trying. Why do you have children? Why do we have kids? Don't make any sense, does it? <laughs> What's the point? All they do is destroy the house, cost you loads of money and then leave you. You see, if you, if you remove the love relationship from the situation, it makes no sense what, whatsoever. Be joined to this person, your wife, for the rest of your life. Why? Because when she's upset, then you're upset. And if you're a man half the time, you don't know why she's upset. But I'm sure it's your fault. <laughs> Just admit it. Doesn't matter what it is you haven't done. Just admit it. But that's the mystery of the love relationship. Why did God create you? All you've done is cause problems for him. Yeah? The earth isn't any better since mankind's been around for 6,000 years. It was better before we came. But he loves us. And he'd rather have the problems with us than not have the problems without us. And that's love. That's why Jesus came. It's a profound mystery. It's the mystery of the Bible. But then look at what he says in verse 32. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. How many people read that and think it's about advice between husbands and wives? Well, Paul says I'm talking about Christ and the church. The husbands and wives were just a metaphor for, the, for Christ and the church. We put it the other way around. We think it's all about us. No, it's about him and his church. Do we see that? Do we understand that the whole of creation has been waiting in the eager expectation for these truths to be revealed? Do you know that God's been planning a wedding for 6,000 years? A wedding between the church and Jesus Christ. Do you know we're approaching that wedding? Are you ready for the wedding? Because a true bride's always ready for her wedding. She doesn't forget... What was I doing this Saturday? Oh, yeah, getting married. She's ready. Do you know she's got the dress ready? She doesn't wait while the day before to decide what she's going to put on. She's going to wear the wedding dress, the garment of Jesus Christ. She's going to put that on. 
Jesus says, clothe yourself in the Holy Spirit. Clothe yourself with Christ, the Apostle Paul said. We're supposed to be dressed ready for the wedding. Jesus even told parables about that. Make sure you're not naked. Make sure you're dressed and ready for the wedding. Because the shout comes at midnight, the bridegroom is here, and they went into the wedding, those who were ready, those who weren't, didn't go. Well, that's a bit severe, isn't it? No. Because if the bride's not dressed for the wedding, she's not getting married. Are we ready? Are we ready for the wedding? Do we know who the bride is? Because at every wedding I've been to, you could tell who the bride was. You can usually spot her. She's the one in the big white dress. No one else goes to a wedding in a big white dress, do they? If they're not the bride. Have you ever thought about doing that for a laugh? <laughs> you ever thought about, I'll go to the wedding, I'll dress as a bride, just to confuse everybody. You see, the bridegroom knows who the bride is because she's wearing the dress they picked. She's wearing what he expects her to wear. Oh, I've run out of time. Are we ready for Jesus? Are we ready here? Are we waiting? Do we know he's come to make us his bride? Do we know that his heart's desire is for you? Do you know that every longing he has is to take you to him? Come away with me, my beloved, it says in the Song of Songs. Come with me. He actually comes for her in the middle of the night when she's not expecting it. And she has to get up and answer the door and go to be with him. Are you ready for that event? Because it is coming. And that's why the final sign that Jesus said of a godless generation is the destruction of marriage itself. As it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's only, there's only one thing that was the same, exactly the same, in both those dispensations. The concept of biblical marriage had been abolished. That meant destruction was coming. That meant God was coming to take his true bride away because God invented marriage, not man. And so who did God get out of Sodom? The church and the brides. And in Genesis 6, as in the days of Noah, it says the sons of God were taking the daughters of men. They were bringing in illegitimate marriages. And so God had to rapture Enoch and save Noah. I don't know what your end time theology is. Here's my end time theology. Jesus is coming to take his bride to the wedding. Because that is what was on his heart from the beginning. That's why his parables were about the wedding. That's why the woman is so important in the life of Jesus Christ. That's why the promise to the serpent in the beginning was the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. That's why Satan attacks women. He wants to destroy women. That's why false religion attack is always on the woman. Wants to make the woman cover up whereas God wants to reveal the woman. It's interesting that some religions make the woman wear the veil, but Jesus always removes the veil. The Greek in the, the, the word for Greek of removal of the veil is apocalypsis. That's what the word means, the removal of the veil. It doesn't mean the end times. It's linked to that. It means the wedding's here. 
The wedding's here. Is the bride ready? And that's what was on Jesus' heart from the beginning to the end. And that's why he hung on the cross. And his final words, he gave that declaration, it is finished. But Jesus was speaking Aramaic on the cross. It says so. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He was speaking Aramaic, not Greek. And the Greek for it is finished is tetelostai. It is signed in full. But in Aramaic, it's the word kalah, which means perfected or my bride. It's exactly the same word. The word for it is finished, perfected, is the same word as my bride. Could it be that Jesus' last words on the cross, whilst it can be translated, it is finished, it can also be said, my bride, she's mine. No one takes her from me now. Neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation, neither angels nor demons, neither principalities nor powers, nor anything else in all creation can separate you from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Nothing. God has come into his garden to find his bride and he's here this morning to find his bride. He knows who she is because she has his spirit within her, she has his word within her, she has his life, she's dressed and clothed with the spirit of God. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Is that what you are? Do you know that? Because you can't leave this under any sense of any doubt. You know, when we had my son's wedding last year, I had to know who was coming to the wedding because I had to get their seats ready. Jesus says the seats of those who have been prepared by the Father have been prepared beforehand. Have you accepted the invitation? Do you know that you've answered God and said, yes, I say yes to your invitation. I'm coming to your wedding. I know you love me. I know you shed your blood for me. I want to turn away from this world because you know you used to be married to this world. Did you know that? Did you know that? It owned you. Do you know in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1, you know that chapter you all skip, Matthew chapter 1. There's four women in that chapter mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba and Ruth. Do you know something about all four women? They were all married to someone else before they married into the tribe of Judah. They were all widows. You used to be married to this world. Paul calls it, you used to be married to your old man. But Jesus crucified the old man on the tree, so now you can belong to him. Your old nature is dead, and now you are free to marry. Because marriage is only until death. And now that the old nature has been crucified in Christ, you can now belong to the new man. You can now belong to the bride and belong to Jesus Christ. Because Christ killed the old man. Can we see this? Well, time is over. If you want any more information on this, I have written a book about it. It's out there. It's called The Coming Bride. I'll give much more detail about the plan of God for you. Don't individualize your plan. 
Don't make it all about you. It's not. It's about the church. It's about all of us. One body. So I want to leave that with you this morning. That's why you're here. That's what God's plan is for you. Whatever individual plans, they are secondary to that. God's not going to change that plan. Whatever individual plans you are, they must fit in with that. The marriage plan of God. So I just want to leave that with you this morning. Can we all bow our heads, please? Yeah, just bow your heads. Just focus right now. I just want to ask you a couple of things. Every person in this room. We don't have time to have an appeal. This is about you and Jesus Christ. Do you know what we've just read? Do you believe that? Have you said yes to Jesus Christ? Because you have to acknowledge the invitation. When a man asks a woman to marry him, she has to say yes. You have to accept the invitation to the wedding. Have you accepted that invitation and said, yes, I will give my life to Jesus Christ? That's the first question you need to ask today. Have you done that? Because if you haven't done that, you aren't going to the wedding. Secondly, if you've said yes, are you really ready? Are you clothed with the Holy Spirit? Have you got the word in you? Are you preparing for the wedding? Are you a part of the church? You can't run around on your own. You've got to be a part of the church. You need to settle that question in your heart this morning. So just those two questions. You need to say yes to Jesus Christ. And you need to make sure you are ready for what he's going to do.